0: Psalm 63, and our our, mo- our biggest focus this morning is going to be on verse 1. We'll quickly, we'll spend most of our time in verse 1, and then we'll we'll pick apart a few things very quickly in verses 2 through 8. But, just a reminder, we're in the middle of a new series. I um, believe, not counting last week, this would be our first fourth week uh, and it's titled seeking to set forth Christ which is on our sign right seeking to set forth Christ that's what we are called to do that's that heavenly calling that was mentioned earlier in one of the passages that we read as our purpose as Christians is to set forth Christ to follow him to worship him to share him Uh, but the first part of this series isn't really what we're to do but who we are as a disciple who we are as a Christian what if, if you could dissect a Christian like you would a frog in science class what would they be made of and the three things I wanted us to see and we've looked at two, is that when you cut open a Christian when you examine a Christian's life you see number one love for Christ love for christ and number two they live for him their life is christ as paul says in uh, philippians right he says for me to live is christ in the same way one plus one is two paul's life is christ They equal. And that's just not something for Paul, but that's something for every believer from David, Abraham, to Paul. Whether they knew the name of Jesus, the point was to live for God. And the one that we're going to speak of today, and I mentioned the last time we did this, That these are so intertwined. Like if you love Christ, you're going to live for Christ. If you're living for Christ, it's because you love Christ. And if you love Christ and if you live for Christ, then we have this third one. You long for Christ. You long. And if you hear me using that word long, you can interchange it with desire or yearn. And if you yearn for Christ... It's because you love Him. And you long not just to love Him more and to know Him more, but to live for Him greater. Because, let's all be honest, we, we say our calling is to live for Christ, but we know that we could give Him more and more and more. And that will be true until the day we die or the day He returns. That our love our living and our longing will never be perfect. But we are in pursuit of loving Him to the fullest. Living for Him to the fullest. And longing for Him more and more and more. If we're to accept this reality. If you are to believe me that that is true of a Christian you must have this basic understanding about Christianity. And I'm sad to say, it's our culture today has gotten it wrong when it comes to Christianity. Our culture, our churches, our preachers, our teachers have said, decide for Jesus and then go and live a good life. I equate it to having a healthier diet. That's not Christianity. Christianity is built on divine creation and divine power. The God of Christianity is the God of creation. And the power that came from creation is immeasurable. It's so immeasurable that it has the heathen pagans of this world... Creating their own uh, idea of creation. And that same God, that same divine creation, that same divine power, not only was in the beginning, but it was also seen in the resurrection of Jesus. And not only that, that same divine creation and the same divine power is what creates you as a Christian, not your decision, not your choice of lifestyle, not your trying, not your wanting to be better, but the fact that you, by the divine creator and his infinite power, made you into something that you could never make yourself into be. And that is a Christian. If anyone is in Christ, what? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new is here. And when a new creation happens, a new heart happens, a new mind happens, a new will happens. And what does that mean? It means you have different affections. Your joy is for different things. Your desires are for different things. They're for things of Christ, not of this world. When a new creation happens, the world knows it. When a disciple is made, when a disciple of Jesus lives, the world knows it. They might not want to acknowledge it. They might not want to accept it. But they can see in the same way the Pharisees saw that Peter and John knew Jesus. And it is our responsibility as the church to recognize that as well, to see and know what a Christian looks like. So when someone comes in and says, I am a Christian, then we say, yes, you are one of us, and this is what we ought to look like. This is who we ought to be. We ought to be people who love Christ, because what does First Corinthians 16 say? Paul says, if you don't love Christ, you be damned. You live for Christ and you long for Christ. As we move forward, we'll talk about what comes from those things. Worship, imitation, and sharing. We'll get to those things as we move forward. But now, today, I want us to look at what it means to long for Christ. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6 or yeah psalm 63. Before I read a prayer, a quick prayer. Father, Spirit of God, enlighten the hearts of your people to know what they have in Christ. God, awaken the sinner to see their need of Christ preach your word today lord jesus it's in your name we pray these things amen psalm 63 i just want to read verse one just so it's in the back of our mind it's quite it's quite packed full oh god you are my god earnestly i seek you my soul thirsts for you my flesh faints or longs for you as in dry and weary land where there is no water so what is everyone around here longing for right now rain we need rain I know you people in Vi and Salem got a little bit this last weekend we didn't it we didn't yeah but it's almost two months we've gone without a significant amount of rain I remember the last time it did rain and it like before the the drought and it was the first week of June, and it's without a doubt what we long for, rightfully so. Uh, as a kid, I remember. As a kid, I remember dusty dirt roads. You know the ones where you catch up to someone and you have to stop because you got to let them get ahead of you. So far, because the dirt road's so dusty. I remember that as a kid. I remember stepping on grass that cracked under your feet, and I remember hearing adults say how much we need rain. And I remember the longing in their voice of them saying how much we need rain. Uh, but I also remember not really caring. And I, I, I like I know I knew, OK, yeah, I, I see the evidence of the lack of rain And I hear the people with the wisdom saying we need it, so I'll say it too. Oh, we need rain. But I could have cared less. It didn't bother me. I didn't understand. I didn't understand the importance. Or I was just too immature to care. This is a similar situation the church finds themselves in when it comes to longing for Christ it's become lip service they know we know we need to say it I just fear we don't know why or understand why over over 200 years ago there was a man named Robert Murray McShane Robert Murray McShane you should probably be thinking well why do I care about this guy well to from my understanding I I like to call McShane a modern day David modern you know within 200 years a modern day Paul he wasn't a king he wasn't an apostle he wasn't even a great theologian. He wasn't that great of a preacher either. But the thing that set Robert Murray McShane apart, the, thing, the reason why I liken him to David and Paul is because of his obvious yearn and desire and longing for Christ. McShane grew up as a teenager not concerned about Christ or the things of Scripture he had an older brother who was a believer a true believer and their relationship was very important to McShane but in McShane's late teens his brother died and it crushed him but what happened is God intended that situation to bring McShane to himself to show him his need of Christ To show him the gospel. To show him his need of forgiveness. McShane was awakened to his need of Christ. And by faith he saw Christ. And he was converted. And he wrote about that time. He said Jesus the Lord. His righteousness had become all things to him. In a moment. Jesus had become all all things to him upon seeing Christ as revealed in the scriptures McShane loved lived and longed for more of Christ he had gained a reputation as a holy man some I have heard say 200 years later one of the most holy men to walk within the last 200 years upon the earth there's a story that goes that McShane, who was a, a, a minister, was staying with an older minister, uh, and as he was traveling, and as he left, after McShane's visit had ended, and he left, the older minister was in his uh, in his study, and his wife could hear him sobbing. And he came in, and she she inquired of her husband, "What's wrong? Why are you crying?" It had a great time with McShane. I think they had had uh, sort of a conference or a seminar or something. And he looked at his wife and and uh, he says, "There went the most Jesus-like man I ever met." And he was ashamed of himself. Now, oh yeah, and it was said that as McShane, this was in Dundee in Scotland, and it, they, it was said that. While McShane wasn't you know, this well thought of uh, theologian or, 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 or uh, preacher, but he had such a reputation in Dundee that when he walked past the drunks, they stood up and took their hat off for him. He wasn't considered a holy man because he avoided things or did the right things. It was because he was after Christ. He sought to be like his elder brother, Christ. McShane died at the age of 29. And in the short six or seven years of his life which in, his, in ministry, which he suffered physically greatly for all of that time because of his health, health issues... He had a drastic impact, impact on his church, on his town, which saw revival, true revival, and not just then, but many, many Christians today are encouraged by the life of Robert Murray McShane. The if you use the study, if you use the uh, Bible reading plan that we use. That's from McShane. It's actually half. He he wrote a plan for his church to read four chapters a day. I only gave you two. We'll work our way up to four a day. All of it was spurred on because he loved Christ. Because he lived for Christ. And because he longed for Christ. Now, let me give you a few quotes from him. It's very quotable. At one point he says, "A believer longs after God, to come into his presence, to feel his love, to hear him in secret. There is greater rest and peace to be found in the presence of God for one hour than in eternity. In the presence of man. He said. I declare to you. That I had rather be one hour with God. Than a thousand. With the sweetest society. On earth or in heaven. And my favorite. He says. Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself. Take ten looks at Christ. Why? Because he is altogether lovely. And you may be thinking, Luke, well, why are you talking about a man during a sermon? Someone that's not even in the Bible. What would you say if I said that he is in the Bible? That Paul talks about Robert Murray McShane in the Bible. Paul says to the Philippians, Brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. He's speaking about McShane there. And every saint that's gone before us who shows that their desire was to love, live, and long for Christ as McShane did, as Paul did. We are to imitate this, these people. We are to imitate those who went before us. Those who have been faithful to the word of God. Those who have been faithful to Christ Jesus. They will fail and they do fail. Paul failed. But he said, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And keep your eye on those who do the same. This is why discipleship among us is so important. This is why knowing church history is so important. Because it helps us follow Christ. Now let's go back to 63. And I want to give a clarifying point on this longing. As I spoke before as... As a kid, my insincere longing for rain. How does the church long for Christ with insincerity? If that's a word. Well, you hear it in biblical phrases. Now, now, hang with me here for a second. The way, the typical way the church longs for Christ is they say, they repeat. They repeat John. Come Lord Jesus. But it is done with the wrong motive. The wrong heart. It's life is so hard. Please come Lord Jesus. I've had enough of this. Come Lord Jesus. This is so awful. Come Lord Jesus. But the the thing is is that. Those are actually good longings. But the problem is, is when they are longings because we're lazy. Because we're fearful. Because we don't have a desire to act as biblical Christians. That mentality lacks obedience to the words of christ to be a light on a hill a house on a hill a light in the world salt of the earth to live is christ right and when he comes it's better but as long as we live your life ought to be an investment to someone else, help them love, live, and long for Christ. Because if that's not what we're doing as we're alive today and we're just waiting on Jesus to come, you are disobedient to the Lord Jesus. We must, uh, the type of longing that I'm talking about today, longing for Christ to return is is so biblical, I don't hear me say that but the longing that I'm talking about is while we're alive and it's not come Lord Jesus but it's Lord Jesus I'm coming not come Lord Jesus but Lord Jesus I'm coming I'm coming to you in prayer I'm coming to you in the scriptures. I'm coming to you when I walk through these doors. I'm coming to you when I raise my kids. I'm coming to you when I go to work. I am coming for you because I long for you. That's the longing that a Christian has. Not to sit on a couch and wait for him. But to get up and serve him. And share him and love others. That is longing for Christ. So, verse 1. First thing we see is a prerequisite for longing. There is a requirement for longing, and here it is it is a relationship with God. We saw it in Psalm 140 this morning and we see it here. Of course, it's the same author. It's David. What does he say? He says, Oh God, you are my God. You are my God. Now, I'm not a big fan of the whole personal relationship with with Jesus mentality, cliche. It was, take, it was built up in the 60s and 70s in the Jesus movement and the church grabbed onto it and made it this you and Jesus do your thing and it turns out that you don't need anybody else you just need Jesus well that's just wrong and I don't have time to get into all how that's wrong because guess what if you've got Jesus you've got his bride if you say you love Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus you should have a relationship with his bride who am I talking about the church what if someone came to you and said, I, t- I said I wasn't going to do this, but what if someone came to you and said, I want to have lunch or dinner with you and your family once a week? And I'm like, oh, great, I'll tell Cindy. Oh, no, she can't come. I'm not a big fan of Cindy, but the rest of your family I'm good with. Leave your wife at home. It don't work, does it? It don't work with God either. You cannot say you love Jesus and not love his bride. You cannot say you have a relationship with Jesus and not desire a relationship with his church, with his people. And when you bite back at the people of God, when you talk down To your fellow brother and sister in Christ. Do you know what Jesus told Paul? Why are you persecuting me? When you act out towards your brother and sister in Christ, you are acting out towards Christ. But nevertheless, as much as I'm not a big fan of that term, it is true. Christianity is a relationship with the creator, God. That's why Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, says that eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And that knowing isn't just like this, I know it like I know my times tables. It's an intimate, like I know my wife That is eternal life. That is Christianity. That I have a relationship with God. I have a relationship with Christ. That I call him mine. And he calls me his. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 7. To those who say Lord, Lord. Some who say Lord, Lord. He says depart from me. I never knew you. I, Jesus, never knew you. And he says get away from me. And it's not because it is not because you're not his type of person or you didn't try hard enough. No, he puts a name on it. He says, you worker of lawlessness. You worker of iniquity. Get away from me. I don't know any of you workers of lawlessness. The requirement for longing is. Is knowing and David knew oh God you are my God knowing the person and work of Christ knowing the gospel of Christ but we have to make sure of something here because this is another way to make this easy and we're not after easy we're not, oh, it's so easy to be a Christian. Come on in. We want to fill these pews. We want, every, we want everybody doing this and doing that because it's so easy. Come on and be a Christian. You know the hardest thing you got to do to be a Christian? I, I'm a sinner. My name is Luke Humphreys. And my heart is desperately sick and wicked above all things. I have rebelled against God. I have worshipped idols my whole life. And I deserve the wrath and anger and judgment of God. You cannot know Christ if you do not know your sin. When someone has a true knowledge, a true relationship with Jesus, they have a true knowledge of their problem. They understand the eternal devastation and consequences of their sin. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying this generic, unconvincing, I am a sinner. But a true understanding of what your own sin is and how it has eternally affected the possibility of you having any sort of relationship with God. One drop of poison ruins the whole whale. One drop. One drop of sin Ruins any chance that you have of calling out to Yahweh and saying, you are my God. Isaiah, what did he say? I am a man of unclean lips. What did Peter say? Depart from me. I am a sinner. The tax collector cried out, have mercy on me, God. Why would they say those things? Why would that be such a big Deal. Go to Judges with me for a minute. I want to highly encourage you to pick up a Bible reading plan in the back and read through it with us during the week. Two chapters a day, typically one in the Old, one in the New Testament. This comes from our reading this week in Judges 6. You know, we know the story of Gideon, Gideon's army of him, of him testing God. But there's something that happens to Gideon that we could just easily gloss over something that happens and something that he realizes and something that he says that helps us understand what is so wrong with sin? What is so bad about sinful people? So if you if you start at verse 11, we'll read 11 and 12 so you know what's happening. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the Terebineth uh, at Opera, which belonged to Joaz of Abezarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. Now, look who comes. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, "The Lord is with you, Almighty one man of valor. Now let me help you just real quick. this isn't like Gabriel, okay? The, this the angel of the Lord isn't Michael. Now there, we can talk about is this the Son of God who makes himself known in the Old Testament? What I want you to know is that God has appeared to Gideon. God has come to Gideon. Now flip over to verse, same chapter, verse 22. Gideon perceived that he, this visitor, was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, listen so carefully. Alas, O oh Lord God. See who he cries out to? He doesn't cry out to Michael or Gabriel or an angel. He cries out to Yahweh. Alas, O oh Yahweh God. For now I have seen the angel of Yahweh face to face. So what's so bad about that? But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Why? Because Guess what? Gideon knows God is in his midst and he should be in trouble because he is a sinful man. He is a human being in front of his holy creator. Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Whether you want to admit it or not, Gideon deserved death in this moment. Isaiah standing in the, before the throne of God deserved death. Peter, as he stood on that boat with Jesus, deserved to die for seeing the Son of God. But mercy and grace came upon them. Why did they deserve to die? Because they were sinful men. You and I deserve to die because of a white lie. Because you're disobedient to your parents because you speak with tongues of serpents 24 you know what Gideon did he worshipped he worshipped Then Gideon built an altar there to Yahweh, Lord, and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands. He worshipped because God had shown him mercy. Because Gideon knew he deserved death. Some of you might have walked in here this morning, listen to me everyone, some of you might have walked in here this morning not truly understanding, not truly knowing the depth of your sinfulness and your heart and your mind. And I call you to wake up. Wake up, O oh sleeper. Know that you are condemned apart from Christ. You are condemned in your own flesh and your self righteousness and your actions because God is holy. You have transgressed his law. You have disobeyed his word, and you shall surely die. This is a true knowledge of sin. Open up your hymnals and look at look at hymn 180. You have to understand Christian or if you call yourself Christian, that you have been awakened from your slumber, you have been shown the depravity of your heart and mind, but God has turned on the light for you. This is the song we're gonna we're gonna try this song this after or after this sermon, but look at verse three. Charles Wesley he writes. Longed my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin, in nature's night. Not day, night. And then he says, thine eye, the eye of God, diffused a quickening ray, a ray of light. I woke the dungeon. Is a dungeon dark or bright? It is dark. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. What were you chained to? Your sin. My chains fell off. My heart was free. Your heart was free to do what? To love, live, and long for Christ. I rose, went forth, and followed Thee. If you have not seen the light of Christ, if you have not been awakened from your sleep, if you have not been resurrected from the dead by the voice of Christ crying, come out, you cannot love Him or live for Him or long for Him. But what? Joy of knowing of His love and mercy and grace that He brought the light of Christ to us. This is when we can have a relationship with God, when we see our need for Christ and we see the depth of our sin and oh how He hates it, but oh how He loves you and me in Jesus Christ. Oh how He loves you and me. If that's you, if you haven't seen it until today, or if you know it but you don't know what to do, cry out to God like that tax collector. Just have mercy on me, God. I don't know what else to do. Just have mercy on me. Flee to Christ Get under him as a shield, as a refuge, as a fortress, and God will rescue you, redeem you. He will take you from a child of wrath to a child of God. And you can then cry out and say, oh, God, my God. Oh, God, my God, I want you to leave today proclaiming that God is your God and you are his. And when God is your God, you will long for him. And when you long for him, look what he says back in Psalm 63, verse one. When when you when you see him, when you see your sin, your need of him, he is your God through Christ Jesus. You long for him. What will you do earnestly, David says, earnestly, I seek you. Now, everybody hear my voice. Think about your life right now. Everyone who hears my voice. Think about your life. What are you serious about? What is important to you? What are you running after? What are you actively pursuing? Now I'll tell you what. I'm looking around. It's probably not fast cars, fun times, and one night stands. That's probably not our problems here. But I'll tell you. I tell you what our problems are it's the same as those three things it's called idolatry okay it's called idolatry if we are not seeking after christ we're seeking after idols now here's the problem you have grown up every single one of you whether you're eight or eighty you have been grown up grown you have been raised up tempted by satan with one idol one really really tempting idol now when jesus was in the wilderness he was tempted by satan as well and satan took him up to the temple mount and he he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and he said if you just worship me jesus i'll give you these all of these kingdoms and we know how that ended But Satan takes the same tactic with you and me. Except it's not all of these kingdoms. He offers you one kingdom. And you know who's the king? You. And here's what your kingdom looks like it looks like you, probably your spouse, a mortgage that's just enough that you can barely afford it, it's two cars and they've got loans on them and they almost equal a mortgage you've got just enough kids to make you happy but not enough that's going to hurt you to go and make money to pay for the mortgage that you can barely afford and the two cars you think you have to have and then you, you want the best lawn this is, this is the kingdom Satan offers all of us all the while, all the while, he's like, yeah, you can you can say Jesus when you tuck your kids in. Oh, you want to say grace? Go for it. But don't forget, you're the king of this kingdom. This is yours. This is the idol of the American dream that all of us have bought into. Every single... And we raise our kids to pursue... The American dream and not pursue Christ. We have all been duped. And we have all bought into materialism. And we say, if I just had more time, I would serve Christ better. If I just had more time, I would raise my kids better. Why don't we have time? Because of our worship of idols. because Christ is less valuable to us than our house, our vehicles, anything we own. You don't have to be rich to idolize it. Hear me. Christ is infinitely more valuable, more precious, Than any dream you can get in this country. Any car you could have. Any home you could afford. He is infinitely more worthy of your attention. Your life. Your love and your longing. Why? Because McShane said it. Because Christ is altogether lovely. And if you're like, what do you mean he's lovely? I'm I'm saying, you don't know because you haven't gone and sought him. If you don't know how Christ is not lovely, it's because you have not sought after Him. You have not longed for Him. He is worthy of your pursuit. He is worthy of your life. But the rest of the verse says that we would long after God, we would long after Christ, not just because He's lovely and worthy, but because you depend on Him. Your life depends on Christ. And when you realize it, you say these things. Verse 1 My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints. Or longs for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Imagine, imagine in, okay, we're in Fulton County. We all need rain. Imagine if each blade of grass and each... Leave on a tree had tongues to express their need of how much they need rain how they would love for the water to fall from the heavens and overcome them to bring them back to life and fill them up so they might live yet the grass can't speak the trees are silent but you know who has lips do you know who has a tongue we do you know what we cry out about Celebrity divorces. Cursing our sports team because they're not good enough. We're passionately yelling at the 16-year-old behind-the-counter McDonald's because they didn't put our mayonnaise on our burger. And we rise up in fury when our paycheck isn't big enough. But we look around this land, and it's not just parched from rain. It's parched from godliness. Godliness. It is void of His righteousness, of people seeking His glory, and we're so concerned about crying out for all these other things, and we are not—we are not once crying out in prayer. We can't cry out in prayer to call for for the Lord to pour out of His Spirit upon us and our homes and our families and our communities for the sake of His glory. Christ is your greatest need. Christ is this community's greatest need. Christ is your family's greatest need. Christ is this country's greatest need. Christ is this world's greatest need. And we are silent. Shame on us. Shame on us. When we long for Christ, we long for His glory. In our lives. In our homes, on our streets, in our schools, in our in our uh, mayor's office, in the public square, in the grocery store, we want Christ to reign and rule everywhere. Do you need Him? Like, do you need Jesus? Do you thirst for Him? I saw a deer, it was like noon. It was noon, it was 100 degrees, and I saw a deer in a cattle pen. You know what, I, I, I have to know what it was doing. It was looking for something to drink. Do you pant for the, the living well of Christ that you might have eternal life? Not just one time I did it or one time, but that you need him to satisfy you daily and so you search out for him in the wilderness you search out for him at five o'clock in the morning if it takes it you search out for him you seek him because you long for him because you need him drink from Christ and what did he tell the woman at the well you need something else this is it you drink from me this is it and it's not a one time thing it's it's well it's, it's waters of well That spring up Into eternal life If we don't need him You're not going to long for him Plain and simple I gotta finish I just want you to look Look at Psalm 63 And I'm going to point out a few things That was the gist of it But I want you to see something. Verse 2. If you long, you are looking. Just like that deer was looking. Look what he says. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Here's the great thing about being a Christian and not being a blade of grass. Is the blade of grass is still dying. In its longing, it is still dying. But those who have Christ those who like so David he's longing he's thirsty but what does he do in verse two he looks he looks and he knows where to look he looks where he is he's I know where to look you're in the sanctuary you're like where's the sanctuary Are we in the sanctuary you look where Christ is where is Christ I can name you many places but I'll give you three number one he's right here number two he ought to be here. And number three, he's in the heavenlies. You see, if we don't look here, and we don't look here, and we don't look up, then what do we do? We look here. We look at the world. We go to what everybody else is doing. Look where he is, and you'll see him. That's the thing. Is that when we have Christ, we are thirsty, but we know where to get satisfaction in Him. And when we find satisfaction in Him, is this weird thing. Guess what? You want more. And it goes on and on and on. So if you long for Him, you will look for Him. If you look for Him, you'll find Him. And when you find Him, you'll see Him. Look what he's said: Beholding your power and glory. Your steadfast love. And a steadfast love is better than life. Verse five four things happen when you long and look to Christ. Number one, satisfaction. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And when you're satisfied in Christ because you've longed for Him and looked for Him, what will you do? Sing for Him. You will worship Him as Gideon did. As David does. When you worship Him, what else? Verse 6. You will remember Him. You will remember Him. And you need to remember Him each and every day. And number 4, verse 8. My soul clings to you. My soul clings to you. But the beauty of verse eight comes at the end. Your right hand upholds me. Apart from Christ. We are helpless. Apart from Christ, we have no love. We have no life. There's nothing to long for. God made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. David said in Psalm 140 that The Lord is my strength and salvation Job cried out As the fish engulfed him The Lord is my salvation He upholds us He saves us He keeps us He preserves us And when that has happened to us You will love him You will live for Him, and you will long for Him. This morning I plead with you to cling to Christ. Let go of your idols. Let go of all your self-righteousness. Let go of all the worldly treasures. Find your satisfaction in Christ. Love Him, because He's altogether lovely. Live for Him, because He is worthy of your life. And long for Him, because He is all you need. If you've got any questions about that, if you're not sure about any of this, if 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 the Lord has pressed upon you that you have not loved, lived, and longed, repent. Repent and turn to him. If you're not sure how, come and talk to me. I'll meet with you. Whatever we gotta do. But you must respond to him. While today is the day. Let's pray. Father, might you be glorified in what? we have done today for the sake of Christ, for the sake of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.